I'll start with this question, though. And I chuckled as I, as I thought about it this week. Imagine a person walks in those doors. And then I went, ha, 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 to myself, right? Well, imagine a person walks in those doors, and they say to us, why are you here? Now, you might say, well, for church. They say, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, what's the purpose of church? Why are you all getting together on Sundays? What do you tell them? To worship God? Build our relationship with God? Fellowship? To learn? Darn, you guys are better off than I thought you were. We're going to tie, we're going to circle back all around to that. So let's leave a, a random guy or a gal standing over there. Why, why are you all here? So hold on a minute. Let's get through this sermon and then we'll answer you. You guys know David? Little shepherd boy? I want you to picture David carrying a delivery from his dad to his brothers. And he arrives at a place called the Valley of Elah. You know what's going on in the Valley of Elah? It's a, it's a battle. Israelites on one side. Philistines on the other. And as David arrives, the, the Israelites are cowering in fear. And across the valley, there's this really big dude named Goliath. And he is just talking bad about God. You wimps, you fools, your God is weak. I'll destroy you. I, I don't know that's exactly what he said. He probably threw a little profanity in different language. I can't do that, but you catch the gist. It's a sermon. I've got to keep my, uh, my verbiage appropriate. Even outside of church, I try to do that too. Well, David's looking at this, this Philistine, and he's looking at the army of the Israelites, and he's going, what the heck is wrong with this picture? There's a guy over there who's blaspheming the name of the Lord, and there's a people who are the army of the Lord who are sitting here in fear. This is not how it's supposed to be. Now, David's eyes would have told him something different. David's eyes would have said, get, get over here where it's safe. That dude is big, and he's going to hurt somebody. You don't want to go down there and... and and interact with him in battle. Get over here and hide with us. But God said something different to David. God told David to fear not. Be bold and courageous. See, David had dealt with scary situations before, and he trusted God. So David, he was mocked. He was ridiculed for saying this. But he said, hey, who is this guy who would speak against the armies of the living God, who would blaspheme God? That's not right, and I'm going to go shut him up. They said, dude, you're a tiny little kid. You tend sheep. What are you doing? And, and they, they don him in armor. He says, this doesn't work. I can't wear this armor. So he goes out with a sling and some stones, smooth stones. And Goliath, tromp, 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 meets him in the field of battle. Now, you know how the story ends? David slings a stone, and down goes Goliath. And David walks up, and he takes Goliath's sword, and he chops his head off. That part you don't usually put in the story with the little kids. You know, we stop with Charlie through a stone. And then he cut his head off, and he grabbed it by the hair, and it's done. <laughs> David was courageous. David knew that they were in that valley to do battle. And the army was too afraid to do battle because they looked at what their eyes showed them, not what God told them. They didn't believe that God would care for them. They didn't trust that God was who he said he was, and they forgot the power that they had on their side. Well, you and I live in the midst of a battle. How often do you wake up and realize you're going out to do battle? Am I making that up? I don't know. Let's just move on. Maybe I am. I'm not. Uh, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6.12 tells us we're not doing battle against flesh and blood. Okay? We're not in a valley fighting against people who are physical enemies. You realize non-Christian people are not your enemies. Do you, do you know that? I, I hate 
when I hear Christian people in certain camps, um, usually rather fundamental in nature, and I use that term in a very negative sense, often carrying signs, turn or burn, God hates fill in the blank. God doesn't hate anybody. God hates sin. And because of sin, people are separated from God, and God will judge sin, and they're in a bad spot. But we're not fighting against people. We're fighting against this present darkness. We're doing spiritual battle on behalf of God. We often get distracted, but I think often we fear, fail to have courage. I was thinking about that today as I was reading Acts 26. Actually, I was thinking about that earlier in the week. It would be awkward if I woke up and prepped my sermon on Sunday morning. Um, Acts 26. Remember where we are in this text. Paul had just stood trial before Festus and Felix. And he was guilty of nothing. But because these men wanted to just compromise and, and keep the peace, they appeased the Jews and they appeased the Romans and they just kept him locked up for years. And Paul shared the gospel and Paul saw no fruit from sharing the gospel. And Paul could have paid a bribe to get out of jail, but Paul didn't pay the bribe. Paul trusted that God would take care of him as he walked in obedience. Well, Paul appealed to Caesar last week, right? Last week, right? And it was said, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. There's one problem. What charge would they write up for Paul when they sent him off to Caesar? Emperor, we send this man before you on the charge of innocence and compromise. And, uh, what charge are they going to write up for him? He had done nothing wrong. Well, a man named Agrippa came to town. And Festus said, hey, let's have Paul stand before Agrippa. Maybe Agrippa will have something he can recommend for a charge against Paul. Now, you all know who King Agrippa is, right? You've all read the biographies and seen the documentaries and stuff, so we don't, right? You know who King Agrippa is? Well, I have good news. I'll tell you. King Herod might sound more familiar. King Herod I. He was a king who's famous in biblical um, texts for wanting Peter dead. Well, Herod had kids. One of his kids was named Agrippa. He also had some daughters. His daughters' names were Drusilla and Bernice. Drusilla, sound familiar? She married Felix. Bernice, when you look at the text, Agrippa came with... Yeah. Dude married his sister. Right? No offense, I have a sister too. You're a wonderful young lady, but from, from a brother's perspective, you know? That was all. I'm sorry. Rewind. He married his sister. That's just not right. It wasn't right then, okay? So Paul is standing trial before an audience of a king and his, his love from early on. They met very young in life. This was a rather dysfunctional family Paul stood before. Well, after much pomp and circumstance, Agrippa comes in and he sits down and there's a group of people around them, many of whom Paul might have gone to school with, uh, the school of Gamaliel. And Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. So imagine the room's quiet. Paul stands up and he's shackled and he's manacled, right? He's not wearing a suit. He lifts his hand. You know why he lifts his hand? He's Jewish. You cannot speak as a good Jew without moving your hands. It's a Jewish and Italian trait. It's just, it's how God made people. So Paul raises his hands, and every time he moves them, you hear the jingling of chains. 
Try that when you talk to people. If you share the gospel, you want to do this a lot. It's distracting. So you hear the clanking. Paul says, I consider myself fortunate that it's before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Agrippa's a Jew. He knows everything that's been going on. He knows the Jewish customs and traditions, and he knows about Jesus. Paul says, hey, I'm glad I get to talk to you because you know what's going on. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nations and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They've known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Dude hated Jews. <laughs> Dude hated Christians, right? Paul was a, a violent uh, fighter against Christ, a devout Jew. It says, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. You know what that light was? Was it a star? What, what, what is that light? It's the Shekinah glory of God. It, it, the presence of God revealed to Paul. It was brighter than the sun. It shone around me. And those who journeyed with me, and when we had all fallen to the ground, that's what people do when they encounter the living God. They fall to the ground. Okay? Doesn't always happen today. Don't be discouraged if you didn't fall to the ground when you got out of the car. When people encounter God, it's not like, oh, cool, nice to meet you. It's, oh, my God, literally. Well, they all fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified in faith with me, in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and all throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. 
Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Felix, but I'm speaking true and rational words. Now he starts turning the screws. Watch this. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Oh, now, now he's messing with fire. He's, he's challenging King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? How's he going to answer that? No? He said, not a Jew. Yes? Well, why don't you believe in Jesus? Paul's turning the screws. I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that, you, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except these chains. Did you catch what Agrippa just said? Are you trying to convert me? What does Paul say? Yeah. Are you trying to persuade me? Paul says, you bet I am. I want you to be just like me, except these chains. Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except these chains. Now, I want some, some dialogue here, because I'm going to propose something a little bit a little bit different than we might process it, okay? Start with two questions. Maybe I'll go to that page that comes before this. Why are you here as a Christian? When you come to faith, why doesn't God just take you to heaven? That might be nice, right? Just boom! Awesome, quick transition, no pain or suffering, you're out of here. But he doesn't do that. No. It's so that you can enjoy life on the planet and get your piece of the pie and have fun. You get what you deserve in this world. And then you die and then you go to heaven. Absolutely. Don't, don't you question. I'm preaching. You're listening. Right? We're here. No? You're not, nobody's buying that? Now, does God like us to enjoy ourselves at time and have fun? Absolutely. He's a perfect father. But why are we here? Say it again. Anybody want to dispute that? If you do, I, go ahead. Maybe she's wrong. You understand the primary reason we're here as believers is to make Christ known to a lost world. You saw that's why Jesus said to Paul to go and call people out of darkness into light, right? That's why as Christians we're here primarily. It brings glory to God, it's for our good, and it's to save people before the time is too late. So what's the purpose of the church in light of that? To entertain you. To, I mean, to, to basically get you through the stinking week. To, to appease you of, of, uh, of, of not feeling guilty. I mean, how many people led someone to faith this week? Right? That, that doesn't happen all the time. So, I mean, Bob's like, hey, I am good. But the rest of us are like, oh, shoot, I kind of screwed up this week. I didn't live like I was supposed to live every day. I sinned uh, one, two, twenty, fifty, hundreds of times. Um, I missed the opportunity to share the gospel. I truly don't really love my neighbor that much. In fact, if you want to kill them this week, God, that's okay. I'll pray for them. You know, we're not living like we're supposed to live perfectly, are we? No. You know why? Because we easily forget. We're easily distracted. We, we, we tend to forget what we should remember and remember what we should forget. You know, how, how many of your, of your sins can you bring up in the past and just say, oh, what a horrible, wicked, rotten, good-for-nothing person I am? You think God wants you to remember that? No. 
But how many of you remember what Christ did for you and why he did it for you, and it just sits right in front of you and consumes your, your every walking, waking moment of life? See, you forget what you should remember, and you remember what you should forget. So we gather together so that we can encourage one another, pray for one another, be equipping one another, hear from God's word together, so we might go out and do the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. You see, that's what Paul's life was all about. It was about sharing the gospel with people. He knew he couldn't save anyone, but God could use him to save people. Do you see that? He's just a hammer that God swings. But we're unique hammers because we have to be willing to be swung as Christians. God doesn't just pick you up and, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to. No. God invites us to join him in his work. But we as Christians have to step in obedience. Paul stepped in obedience, in greater obedience day by day. And he equipped churches to equip one another to go out and do the work that they have been called to do. I was thinking about this in light of a, a bunch of things going on this week. And, and I had written an article um, for publication in a blog. And I'm hoping that that comes out in the next few weeks or months. I don't know the speed at which that works. I was going to bring the article, but I, I thought, wow, you, you fall asleep probably on me and I feel really bad. And then I try to retract it. But the gist of it was, and, and I say this as, a, as an encouragement, and the blog was written, it was called, you know, Sound the Alarm. You see, you and I are entrusted with the same thing Paul has been entrusted with, to go out and convert people. But doesn't that sound wrong? So, Pat, imagine that you're talking to someone, and you end up talking about Jesus, and they say, are you trying to convert me? You know, what's our natural tendency? No, 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 no. We, we, we all have to choose what we believe and why. We, I'm not trying to make you believe anything. I'm not trying to convert you. I'm just telling you why I believe what I do. Why do we do that? Why, why, why are we afraid to tell somebody, darn right I am? I mean, are, think of it. Would you be comfortable if you're talking to someone and they say, you're trying to convert me? Darn right? How often do we say that? You bet I am. By, by any means necessary. See, I become all things to all men so that some might be saved. That's what Paul said. If someone asked me, are you trying to convert me? No, no, I'm not trying to convert you. That's not my business. Oh, I can't convert you anyway. You're going to believe what you want to believe. I'm just happy to tell you why I believe what I do. You know why I think we, we hesitate with that? Because we don't understand what Paul understood fully here. Notice Paul didn't set this up through some manipulative plan. Paul's sitting in prison. He didn't even know Agrippa was coming probably. And they say, hey, Paul, get up. What's up? Got to go meet King Agrippa. Trying to share the gospel, Paul's thinking, right? So Paul shows up. Now, if you share the gospel with your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors, you might offend them, right? If you offend them, what's the worst they can do to you? Not talk to you again, right? And I'm not saying that's not a big deal. If your family decides not to talk to you again, that, that hurts. Um, if you share the gospel with a king, during this time, you know what the worst could happen to you is? <laughs> you, you get dead, right? So Paul was, was walking into a valley, and it would have been real easy to say, uh, God, if you want to save him, you're going to save him. Um, I'm just going to kind of shut up here a little bit. And I'll pray. God, if you want to grip it to come to faith, I pray you bring him to faith. Mm -hmm. Keep my mouth shut and my head on my shoulders, right? Paul didn't do that. Why? Because Paul understood reality. You see, as a church, haven't we lost track of reality? Haven't we forgotten who we are, what we're here for, and why the church exists? The man walks in, why are you here? 
We're here for fellowship, absolutely. We're here to worship, absolutely. We're here to learn, absolutely. We're here for a variety of reasons, but what's the goal of it all? So that we might be equipped to make Christ known. Why? Here's why. Paul knew, apart from Christ, where Agrippa sat. It's hot in here, but hell is hotter, and hot ain't the worst part of hell. That would be great if I, if I just remembered what I said and quoted it. The worst part of hell is separation from God for all of eternity. Hell is your worst nightmare times a billion, and then it just gets worse. And heaven is the exact opposite. God doesn't want people to go to hell. God doesn't make people, oh, you go to hell. You know, we go through the attributes of God. God doesn't do that. That's not who God is. God made people for a purpose, and the purpose is to live in an eternal relationship with him. And then Adam and Eve screwed it up, and when we get to heaven, I think we're always going to walk up and smack them. They were as guilty as they are. You can't smack them. Since then, we, we've had a, a severing in the relationship, right? So God then said, oh, shoot, I didn't know this would happen. What do I do? No. God knew all along what would happen, and he allowed this for, for specifically, we don't know why, but I think in large part so that we might see his love for us unfold in the redemptive plan of humanity. And it culminates in Christ coming down from heaven, becoming one of us, taking our sin upon himself, putting his righteousness upon us so that we might be forgiven before God. Now, we've lost track of a variety of things that I'm going to try to recapture for myself and then drag you along and show you too. But one of them is just the glory and perfection and holiness of God. Jesus is my homeboy is not a, a phrase you should utter because he ain't your homeboy. Now, he's your friend if you're a follower of Christ, but understand who it is that's your friend. When people come before God, they fall down. Why do they fall down? Because God is really, really holy, and you are really, really sinful. Yeah? Peter says, away from me, I'm, I'm an unclean man. Peter got it. Moses, boom, burning bush, boom. Remember when, when Mount Sinai shook? Hey, that's my homeboy shaking him. No, 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 back up. You, you die if you get too close here. We've lost track of, of who God is. Oh, he is far more wonderful and loving and compassionate than you can realize. God draws near to, to those who are brokenhearted, those who are down. He is a, a comforter, a helper, a redeemer. There, there is so much wonderful, uh, oh, I don't know what word you put on it with God. It would blow your mind. But God is far more holy, and God hates sin far more severely than you can grasp. That's why his son died for us. And we live in a world where the reality is the majority of people are separated from God because of sin. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. So God sent Christ, and then he sent us. And he sent us to go out as the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ in this world. That is the purpose of the church. To proclaim the gospel, to care for people, to love them, and to love one another. By our love, the world will be able to know the love of Christ. You see that? See, we gather here for a variety of reasons, but I want to tell you a couple that we don't gather here for. We don't gather here to be a social club. I want to have fun. I swear to you guys that if we have a facility with a large fellowship hall, I'm paying out of my pocket for three moon bounces, and we all jump in after church, okay? We'll have fun. That's okay. We can have fun, but that's after church. It's going to be a members-only room, right? We don't want to use it to draw the people in. It's, you, you can hop if you love Jesus. That's big size. Come and hop if you love Jesus. Maybe it's a trick to, to have people profess faith. We're not to be a social club. We're not, we're not to just gather together to have fun. We're, we're not to just gather together and, and, and fail to truly love one another. 
we're to truly love one another. We're not to tolerate sin. How, how do you balance that? I love you enough, and I hope you love me enough, that we won't tolerate sin in each other's lives because of the destructive influence of sin. Now, that doesn't mean you did bad, go sit on the stairs. You know? You got to build credibility, you got to build trust. That's fellowship. You got to know that, that, you know, a parent, imagine a parent who never disciplined their kids. I, you know what? I love you so much that you do whatever you want, and then when you're a grown up, it'll all just work out fine. You know? So it's okay you stole money from me, you know, it's just, let's just forget about it and you move on. You know, you, with kids, you got to correct them. Well, here's a crazy thing it's a church. We're all kids. You know? Who, who's the parent? God. So together, we have to care for one another, love one another, grow close to one another as a body that is Christ. That's difficult to do because it's, it's not really comfortable if Renee says to me, John, I got to tell you, I, I don't like the way you're treating your wife. I, I think it, it's inappropriate. You know, my first bet is going to be, who, who are you to tell me, young lady, right? That's a great way then, if I wasn't the pastor, then I would just go somewhere else. You mind your business or I'm out. But if I know Renee for an extended period of time and I know Renee loves me, I know how she would communicate that with me. she say, John, you know that I love you. You know that I want you to, to know Christ as well as you can and to walk in, in obedience to him. And, and we all have blinders. And I just want to share something with you in love. Well, see, I'll still, I'll still ruffle on the edges because I'm still a, a, a fallen person. But I'm going to hopefully be able to listen to her knowing she loves me. Because if I can't listen to other people, I have blinders and I'm going to sin all over the place. See what I'm saying here? They're often little and they grow. And so part of the reason we're here is to help walk in one another walk in obedience. And you need credibility with each other. You need to know you love one another and you need communication skills. You know, Renee has them. So if you ever have to confront somebody with something, ask Renee. You, know, you don't walk up to somebody, hey, you idiot. Change your way. But that's how I want you to tell me. Well, <laughs> all right, let's, let's no, stop for a minute. Okay. We need to pray for one another. How does prayer work? You don't really know, so you don't do it, right? We need to pray for one another. Pray, pray for each one of us that, that we, would be, we would be growing closer to God, empowered by God, convicted by God of sin, encouraged by God, protected by God, given opportunities to share the gospel. That's why we gather to pray for one another. We need to hear the word of God together. We need to be equipped by the word of God. We need to work together to, to share the gospel, to, to show love in the community. And ideally, we begin to cross over with other churches in the area and live out relationally with them and, and evidence that we're not in competition, but we're in fellowship with one another. But the reason we're here, the reason we're here is to be equipped to do what God calls us to do, to be reminded of who we are in Christ and to remember who people are apart from Christ and to desire to love them more. You see, by tomorrow morning, we'll forget most of what, what happens here. And we go off to work. You, you know, you get up and you go to school or you go to work or you do whatever you do and you wake up groggy. You know, you, you brush your teeth. You, you try to make your hair look presentable. You get out of the house. You're running late. People are coughing on the train next to you. You interact with other human beings and you get really irritated with them. Then lunchtime comes up, and you're like, oh my gosh, and it's only Monday, how am I going to survive the week? And then the afternoon, you go home, you have dinner, you clean up the house, you sit down in front of the TV, click, and you're like, goodness gracious, how long till I can retire, right? And then you do it all again on Tuesday, and you completely forget why you're here. You completely forget who God is, how he loves you, 
why he's placed you where you are, and you get busy with the crazy. We all do it, don't we? Let me encourage you with this today. There's a man standing back there. He's invisible. He says, why are you all here? We tell him, we're here to love one another and to equip one another to go out and do the work that God called us to do. What's that work? To make people aware of his love for them and what he's done through Christ, to share the gospel. He says, oh, you all going to try to convert me? What do you say? So I don't think that's very tolerant of you. You see, then you back it up. Why would we try to convert them? See, I've, I've said to people before, see, here's the deal. If what I believe is true, then what you believe is wrong. And if what I believe is true, you're in a very awful position right now. You're separated from God, and one day you will either die or Jesus will come back. And you will spend all of eternity separated from God in the worst place you could ever imagine. And you can't get out. But God offers an eternity with him in a better place than you can ever imagine. And he wants you to be there so much that he sent his very own son to die for you and pay the penalty that you were due. And then to put upon you more gifts than you could realize. He lavishes gifts upon those he loves and he'll meet your every desire. Why would you not want that? And why would you want to stay where you are? You see, one day everyone's going to meet God. And I don't want anyone I knew to say, why didn't John tell me? See, that's called love. Loving, person, loving a person is loving them enough to tell them the truth in love. You know, I don't want anybody making a sign that says, turn to burn, fill in the blank, bad word. That's not love. Love is, I love you enough that I'm willing to risk our relationship. I'm willing to let you hate me for a time. I'm willing for you to think that I am stinking out of my mind crazy. Because I know the truth. And you're not my enemy. You and I are both children of God. One separated, one, one reconciled by grace through faith, not because I deserved it. You see, I'm not a Christian because I offer anything to God. I'm a Christian because God offered everything to me. And he offers it to me as much as the next guy or gal. See, that's why we're here. Now, think about this. How many of you, before you came to faith, had someone share the gospel with you? It's rare, though. It's rare. So if we're not out building relationships and sharing the gospel, how are people going to hear? Now we might like to say, well, God will tell them somehow. But God entrusted his church to go out and proclaim. What if his church is silent? What if we forget? What if we keep the gospel in our walls? Maybe there's an alarm ringing in the background. Get up, go out, love one another. See, if we don't, then who will? You can't save anybody, but you have the message of salvation that you bring to the world. That's crazy, isn't it? That's absolutely crazy. So I want you to think about that. I want you to, to be intentional, I'm talking to myself, about building relationships with non-believers. Pray for them. Love them. And yeah, you got an agenda. You know that. Your agenda is to, to save them. Why? Because you love them. You look for every opportunity. Now, don't just manipulate a relationship to dump the gospel and get out, right? 
even if they don't accept Christ, you still love them and live relationally with them. These are not conditional relationships, but pray for those people you know who don't know Christ. How might God work? What opportunities might God give them? I bet you friends you have who friends you have don't know many Christians. They may know people who call themselves Christians, but they don't know many Christians and they know even fewer who would love them enough to share the gospel. So if not you or me, then who? Build relationships with Christians who go to other churches. You know you can be a Christian and go to another church. Well, heaven would be small if this was it. There are other Bible-teaching churches with Christian people in them. They are not always easy to find. I'll concede that, but, but they're out there. Build relationships with these people. Encourage one another. There are also Christians out there who are having difficulty maturing. Lots of them. Lots of them. Build relationships with them, too. Now, you know me, a lot of you, for seven years plus. I am not a sheep stealer, they call them, right? I'm not looking for church hoppers to bring in. Mm -mm. But if you know someone or if I know someone who is a Christian, who is stagnant in their faith, can't grow, doesn't know how to share their faith, and God forbid they don't even know they're supposed to share their faith, love them enough to tell them, and then equip them and disciple them, and if they end up wanting to come here to be equipped, that's fine, they're welcome. If they're in a healthy church, don't you dare try to talk them out because that's their family and that's where they need to be. But if they're not being equipped and they don't even know what they're supposed to do, love them enough to tell them. And then us, walk in greater obedience. Anyone here walking in perfect obedience besides me? Yeah, right. What are you laughing at, Bob? <laughs> Thank you. None of us walk in perfect obedience. And there are consequences by our la for our lack of obedience or faithfulness. God's will will be done. Understand that. It's not like God's sitting there going, oh, man, I just, I just wish that John would, would walk a little bit more obediently so I could do what I want. God's going to do what he wants. The question is, will we be a part of it? Will we have the joy that comes from doing the work of God through his power? Or will we be left to the side while he moves on? Now, you're still a Christian either way. Saved by grace through faith, not by works. So, don't, don't look and be like, oh my gosh, I have let God down so many times. Yes, you have, and so have we all, right? Don't beat yourself up on that. Forget what lays behind and press on what lies ahead. Learn from the mistakes. Walk in greater obedience. There are consequences to obedience and disobedience that affect not just us, but many people. If we're not praying for one another, there are consequences to that. I don't know exactly what they are, but I know that basically we're, we're quenching the power of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us. If we're failing to love one another, there are consequences to that. If we're not using our time, talent, and treasures, God calls us to, there are consequences, and there's consequences on the upside, too, for walking in greater obedience. I don't know about you, but I want to be a full-powered, full-throttle Christian. I want to, to quote some of, the, some of the, great, uh, the great men of the past. I think it was Whitfield, I may be mistaken. He says, light yourself on fire, and then have pe people will come to watch you burn. That's our job as Christians. Don't, not physically, nobody come in next week all bandaged up, you know? And then next week we'll talk about gouging out your eye and removing your hand if it causes you to sin. We'll have one funky looking church. Not literally, he's talking about a burning desire to know God better and serve him more faithfully. And people will come to watch you burn. Many may laugh, many may mock, but some will say, why are you burning? What's going on with you? You can share the gospel. So why are we here? As you leave here today, you're going to the Eagles game to share the gospel. So I want you both on the field at the, <laughs> during the national anthem. Okay, hey, my name is Dan Hoover, and I am here. Why are you here? Well, first of all, because God has sustained you by grace. 
and he sustained you so that you might come to know him. After you came to faith, why did he leave you here on earth? For the same reason he left Paul and sent Paul before Agrippa. So you might declare who God is, what God has done, and what you're called to do in response. Well, why do we gather together as a church? Because God tells us we have to. Well, he does say, you know, do not neglect to gather together. Because we're sheep, and sheep have trouble. Independent sheep are dead sheep. They're called meals. So we walk collectively. Bob, you shared a real conversation, the, the illustration of the coals and what happens when you remove a coal and it cools off. It needs other coals to stay hot. Well, if you want to stay on fire, if you want to keep the heat up, you've got to gather together for fellowship and prayer and encouragement. If you don't want to get chewed up by the evil one, you've got to walk in the pack following the good shepherd. And part of him is walking in obedience to him. And when we become cast, we help each other get up. You know that? There's no shame in saying to a group of people that you know love you and that you love, I need help, because we all need help. And we're here to help one another. So as we do this, and we go out here today, and we go into Monday, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and etc., this is what I want you and, and me to always remember. If you wake up tomorrow, you've woken for a purpose. And that purpose isn't to get your piece of the pie, it's not to frolic and have fun and save up so you can finally retire and be done with a stinking thing called work. You want the bad news? You know you'll work in heaven. Oh, my gosh, forever. Yeah, but you'll enjoy work in heaven. It's different. It's not just to get to retirement. How often do we rush through life? Oh, my gosh, if I could just get through this and this. and Stop rushing. Be still and know that God is God. If you wake up tomorrow, you woke up because God woke you up. And he woke you up for a purpose so that you could glorify him and have joy. How do you have joy in the busyness of your day? Well, that's the delight. You follow the good shepherd through your day. You feast upon his word. You pray. You walk in obedience. You keep your eyes open, realizing that all people are image bearers. That, that fool that cuts you off in traffic, that's an image bearer of God. That annoying coworker that you can't stand, that's an image bearer of God. And do you know that God doesn't love you more than the traffic cutter offer or the person at work that, that you can't stand? Now, as a believer, you're in a very unique relationship with God. It's a different type of love for the believer than the non-believer, but you're here for a purpose. So my challenge for this week, for you and myself, and now I'm freaking out about what will happen Monday morning. Because if you try this too hard, you know, you say, all right, that's how God works. Whenever I'm preparing a sermon. Last week was about, we talked about not, not giving up, not growing discouraged. Yeah, it was a lovely week. So we're going prosperity preaching for the next month, you know. Ding, ching, we have the new plane and the new car. I don't think it works that way. But be aware, if you want to walk in greater obedience, the devil will perk up and try to trip you up. But God is with you. You have a joy beyond measure. I think, I think Bob was paying attention this morning, right? Why, why did Bob go to the diner just, just to eat and get through the motions to get to church? No, he, he had the opportunity to love his son. As you're riding on the train, as you're walking into work, as you're, as you're sitting home having a meal with, with a kid, Father, what, what is your will in this moment? Don't, don't kill yourself about it. It's not that hard to figure out. How do you find out you love them? You let God guide the conversation. You don't manipulate and you understand. You're here to encourage the saints, offer salvation to the lost, and bring glory to God. That's why we're here. You can have a lot of fun along the way. You can go on vacation. You can retire. Although, uh, that, that Don't Waste Your Life book, I think we learn we're not supposed to retire. So, it's what you do in retirement is the issue, right? You, you can laugh. Christians should have deep belly laughs. We, we, we should laugh louder than anyone laughs. 
We should have a joy that the world, the world doesn't have. But we should also have a sense of reality. That we live in a battle amongst the people who are perishing. And we offer forgiveness. See, David came to do battle and he used a sword. We have a sword too. It's called the sword of the Spirit. Read after Ephesians 6, 12, 13 and following. It's the armor of God. Don the armor. Be who we were made to be. Have the joy that God desires for us. So what might God do? What might he do if we all realize more fully why we're here and went out and lived as such? A little kid killed a giant. What might a faithful few do through the power of God for his glory? What type of joy might we have as opposed to the cheap substitute we try to fabricate? Let's pray. Close with a song and a benediction. Father, I just, I thank you for, for who you are. I thank you for who you have made us through Christ. I thank you for the fact that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That it's not because of the, the grade we get on our obedience scale that you love us. It's simply because of grace that you love us. We don't deserve it. We never did deserve it. But you also now don't see us as messed up screwballs. You see us as your very own children. You see us in the righteousness of Christ. We have been made white as snow as our sin was removed from us. God, help us understand the joy that comes from that. Help us understand what that means, what we were apart from Christ and what we've become through. What it means to stand at one point in time in the wrath of God and now as a child of God, completely forgiven. God, help us love people enough to tell them. We don't love everybody. There are people that really, really bother us. There are people that, that we, we are afraid might mess up our routine or we might not be able to uh, manipulate, per se, if, if we try to share the gospel. God, help us. Help us to put ourselves aside and see them as you see them. Help us never see a non-Christian as an enemy. Help us to, to never see someone who follows a different faith and enemy. Help us to understand who they are. They, they are sheep wandering without a shepherd. And you've called us as, as people to go alongside you, the good shepherd, to whistle, to share the gospel and see if they might come. God, you could audibly share the gospel with every person on the face of this earth right this moment. You could freak everybody out. But that is not how you've chosen to work. For some strange reason, in your perfect knowledge and will, you've chosen to take average, ordinary, easily frightened sheep like us and called us to go out with the life-saving message of the gospel. God, that's not something we can do on our own, and I understand that that's exactly the point you want to make. We need to understand that when we are weak, then we are strong. We need to understand that there is no need to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, to let our request be made known to you so the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. So God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would equip us, and that you would guide us. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see and minds to understand day by day more fully who we are, who we have become, and why we are here. I pray for those people we all know relationally that don't know you. I pray that you would begin to soften their hearts. I pray that you would give us opportunities to share the gospel with them. And I pray that we would see many come to believe. I pray for those that we do know who, who believe in you already, that we would be an encouragement to them, that we could have a fellowship with them as we understand the nature of our relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And I pray for our church, God. I pray that we would grow in, in, in greater conformity to your will for us, that we would be a church that always brings glory to you, a church that is able to bring the gospel to many, and a church that is encouraged and equipped by you, Holy Spirit, day by day and week by week. I pray that we may be a light that shines brighter in this community as we continue to grow, so that when people look at us, they would see us aflame. They might laugh, they might mock, or they might ask, but there would be no doubt that we are a people who love you, that desire to make you known, and have a certainty of assurance in our faith in Christ. It's in his holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.